This is Mirrored Up, Episode 3. This is Jared Campbell. In this episode, I'll be sitting down with Chase Christensen. He is a recently returned missionary of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He has spent over two years serving the Lord in the Micronesia Guam mission. During his mission, he has had the opportunity to travel to multiple different islands in the area and has picked up some amazing stories. So please join me as we sit down and discuss some of his mission experiences and more. Chase, thank you for taking your time and coming over and sitting with me. Hey, thank you so much. I'm excited to be able to share a little bit of my stories with y'all. Heck yeah, I'm excited. So for those listeners that are listening to this, you're Chase Christensen. Okay. Yep. I I, uh, I remember you because obviously I work in the school, so I got to know you quite a bit as you were going through high school. I, I asked you to come talk to me because you, you have an awesome story. Or at least you've had an awesome experience going on a mission mm-hmm. for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then you also got the opportunity, which I'm jealous to say, you you went to Guam. Yeah. Which, which the, for the for the listeners listening to this, what, what is Guam? What is that? Well, Guam is a island in the northern Pacific. It's south of Japan, north of Australia, and uh, east of the Philippines. So kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, Guam's about... 10 miles wide and 34 miles long. So just a dot in the ocean. And if I think about Australia, you're going to go north of Australia. It's yeah. going to be out there in the middle of the ocean pretty much. Basically. Okay. Awesome. Where it's warm, right? Yeah, exactly. Warm right? weather. We're real close to the equator and it was tropical weather. The lowest I ever got was like 75 degrees and the highest was like 90. Just can't get better than that. Exactly. And then you came off your mission. You've only been home for about a month. Yep. About a month. Month. And there you come back to winter here. We're now here we are in 20 <laughs> degrees or less. No matter wherever I go, I'm just shivering the whole time. Just, and you don't have any meat on your bones, man. So this is a change. Yeah. They so. keep calling me small fry or skinny mini. So that's what it is. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for t- coming in, man. You're awesome for coming over. And I'm envious of this mission. I just want to know more. And that's why I want to ask you to come over and talk to me today. So Jumping in the mission, you know, there's been, there's a lot of those in our area that have gone on missions. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, it seemed like a lot of people are going to either uh, up north, Montana. There's a lot of buildings in Montana yeah. from here. Um, you know, we had a couple people that just kind of stick around the States, but you got blessed with the opportunity to go to Guam. Mm-hmm. So, so starting that off, what was your thoughts? What was your feelings of when you got called to go to Guam? So I got my call in, I want to say, June of 2018. And... At that point, I wasn't um, expecting to go outside the States, actually. All my family uh, had served in, in the States, my dad, my brothers. So just kind of following the trend, I figured I'd be serving stateside. So when I read Micronesia Guam, and I had no idea where that was <laughs> first, turned to my dad and go, Dad, I'm going to Africa. <laughs> Turns out, not Africa. But <laughs> A long ways off from Africa. A long ways off. I was just awestruck it was one of the most spiritual experiences of my life just hearing that and knowing that there's people out there in that big blue ocean a little island that eventually one day i'm supposed to meet yeah that's awesome such an awesome thing what what were some of the things you did to prepare to go to guam what was some of the requirements i know if you think about like billings montana where some of these people go it's more of the get your coats ready man get ready for the cold weather what was yours? Bring your shorts and no, <laughs> what was yours? <laughs> well, I had about five months before I left on my mission. I had a long wait. So a lot of my preparation, it was kind of funny because I left in December. So I left when it was really cold and then I came back when it was really cold. But I basically had two years of summer. My preparation for my mission 
we didn't have to buy suits. We were a no suit mission. So they just required obviously slacks and, mm-hmm. and a white shirt and tie. Slacks, white shirt and tie. Um, another thing that we were required to purchase before we came is a set of Crocs. <laughs> so for about, I'd say three fourths of my mission, my main proselyting shoes were Crocs. Okay. That was your shoes. Yep. That's awesome. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah, they were sweet. Crocs are actually really good, except once you've worn them for so long, they get so slick on the bottom that no matter what, what terrain you're on, it's like racing slicks and you'll just slide. <laughs> just slide across, <laughs> especially in the mud, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you got, you got set up, you got your items you needed. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what did you do for the MTC? Did you go to Salt Lake or did, was there another avenue for you? For me, the languages that we learn in Micronesia aren't taught in the MTC. Okay. So we go to the MTC English speaking. So I just went up to, to Provo and did three weeks there. And then after three weeks, they sent us out to the islands. So you had no experience in the language, at least no pre-forethought through nope. the MTC? Nothing. They, they have no introductions or anything like that because kind of going into the mission a little bit. In the mission, there's seven main languages, different languages too that aren't, some of them are related, but none of them can, like you can talk one and then perfectly understand the, someone else if you know a different language so of them. So the dialect is still different farther enough, mm-hmm. but you, you can communicate or you still struggle to communicate? Depends on the language. The language of Chukis and Carolinian and Outer Island Yappies and a little bit of Pompeian, they're all basically like the same language group. So the structure is the same, but the words are different. Yeah. So is there different Book of Mormons for each one? So each of the main languages has a Book of Mormon in being translated or has been translated. Okay. For that, for that area mm-hmm. in, that, in that dialect. Yes. Okay. So then, then, okay. So let's keep going then. You get shipped off. You go down there. It obviously, it's a long flight to even get there. Yeah. So I had never flown before my mission ever. And the flight out to, to Guam... Guam only, which is like kind of the main island that after that, then they'll might, they might send you to a different island. It was a 20 hour flight, my first time flying and I left the MTC alone. I didn't have any other missionaries with me. So I was scared. <laughs> they just threw you on a plane by yourself. Here yeah. you go. <laughs> I remember we got to the airport and it, there was me and another elder that were getting off to, to get into the airport at the same spot. And he was going to be going to Japan and I was going to Micronesia and we just kind of looked at each other because he was alone and I was alone and we're like, well, good to know you out there. And we just walked down two different halls and yeah. And that's where it went. That was it. That was the last time I had a companion for the flight. And then. And then you landed in where? um, I traveled. I went from Salt Lake to San Francisco, San Francisco, San Francisco, sorry. To Honolulu and then Honolulu to Guam. Which in that flight from Honolulu to Guam, that one's about a seven and a half hour flight. Okay, but during that whole time, there you are by yourself, just yep. just making it work. Yeah, the whole whole time from Salt Lake to to Guam, I was alone. Okay, yeah, that's a learning experience for you. <laughs> so that's for sure. So so tell me about the first week. Tell me when you first got into Guam and the my first week, uh, I was on Guam. I Came in, I was one of two missionaries that came in with what we'd call um, 
my intake or the missionaries that came in at the same time as me. One of them, the other one, he came from the Philippines and I'd come from the States. He'd gone there at a different time than I did. And so they don't tell you first off which island you're going to be assigned to that first night. They just take you out and they start having you work with the, the other missionaries. So they start figuring it out. Start figuring it out. So the first week uh, was spent, I cross-eyed a lot with an elder named Elder Vogel Zhang. He was an assistant at the time. I remember that first week was just basically walking around. Uh, after that first night, we, in the morning, we woke up with, and they took us to the office. And then that's where they told us like our first assignment, where we would be going. And so that's when I learned that the first island I'd be serving on was a little island called Yap. Okay. And you spent a lot of time on Yap. I did. I spent a little bit over a year and one or two months there. Did you spend that same time in the same field, like like in your room, or did you move across the island, or how how big are we talking here? That's good. That's a good question. So, (laughs) So Yap is smaller than Guam. Guam's the biggest island. Yap is about 10 miles long and about five miles wide, but it's kind of weird because Yap isn't shaped like a, a circle. It's kind of like four separate islands that are so close together that they have bridges that you can drive across. Okay. So you can drive from different sections mm-hmm. and it's all contained in Yap, but yeah. it's all separate, separated with water. Yeah. At least that's main island Yap. I lived on Yap in the same house, not consecutively, but in total for nine transfers, which is about a year because a transfer is a month and a half. Transfer is a month and a half. So you did that for obviously nine times that that time. And that's how much time you spent in that area. In that area. And then that other transfer was still on Yap, but just in a different. Okay. So did you move across the island then or no? So I moved, so I spent six months in one area. On Yap. On Yap. And then I moved to the other area for a transfer, a month and a half. And then I moved back to that same area I'd started in for five more transfers. So seven and a half months. So it wasn't too far then, back and forth. The island's small enough that you can kind of get around it pretty quickly. One missionary drove from one end all the way to the other one, one day, and it took them driving the speed limit, which isn't very fast <laughs> to, to say. It took them one hour to okay. get from one end to the other. To drive straight through. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm assuming on dirt roads or are we talking paved roads on um, this? Depends on the spot. Because some, some spots actually are paved, but there's a lot on the island that isn't paved. So it just depends. Yeah. So most of the, there's like a main road that runs up the middle of the island and that one's paved. And then most all the roads that break off of that one are just dirt roads. Gotcha. That's awesome. So uh, you spent most of your time there. Mm-hmm. So you obviously probably had an awesome time getting to know the same people. And what, what was your experience from, from spending so much time on that island? Sometimes it's kind of hard to, to say that because to say exactly what it's like to, to like first get there, because I, I did spend a long, long time there. I got used to the people. And a lot of the things I first, when I got there, I thought, well, oh, that's really strange. Like eventually became more common. But I'd say a couple of the things that really stood out to me when I first got to uh, the island is how differently the people like interacted in, like a social situation. What do you mean by that? I'd say when 
like when we talk as as people here like in America, you're very we we like to tend to beat around the bush as as you could say, but there on Yap and a lot of other places I know, they were very direct. Like something that really stood out to me first off is here uh, in the states you don't usually just say good like bye when you first walk up and and see someone. You don't like if you're passing someone on the street, you, you don't, don't you, you don't ignore s- them is yeah. what you're saying. You usually just walk by. You just walk by or you say have a great day something like that or right. Hey, see you around. They they're just like bye. It's like kind of threw me off at first. I was like, <laughs> "Whoa." And so so anytime you pass somebody they're, they're, they're acknowledging you yeah. saying bye or yeah, saying say something to you. Bye. Okay. Which is just part of their culture. That's actually what they do in their language. They, it's normal. So but, it's very polite. Yeah, it's very polite. But here, like if, if you're walking down the street and someone just like you passed them, they just looked at you, said bye. You'd be like, whoa, that's kind of weird. <laughs> they wouldn't know. How, yeah. You wouldn't know how to recognize that, at least yeah. here. And there's a lot of phrases that we use in English that they don't use, even though they like a lot of the people there speak English. They don't use it because it's not part of their original language. Like I said earlier, have a great day. There's no way for them in their language, have a great day. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to them. So they don't use that phrase. Okay. So it doesn't translate well at yeah, all then. It doesn't translate well. That's why they just use bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that makes sense to them. I'd say the most interesting thing as well for Yap is it's the most culturally, they have kept their culture the best out of most all the islands in Micronesia and Guam area. So you're saying the other, the other areas in there, they're, they're adopting more different things. Different cultures are shifting a little bit more yeah, or compared to Yap. They're, they're still holding true to their, what they've grown up as. Exactly. Why do you think that is? Well, I think a lot of it, you can see throughout all the islands, even on Yap, there's a lot of Western influence, which makes sense as they, they're supported by countries like, like America. But with, with Yap, a big thing that's always been for the people of Yap is their culture, how the culture is passed down and making sure it like stays strong in their family. So they teach your kids quite well, at mm-hmm. least in that culture and try to hold true to it. Yeah. Even still like with a, a culture like designed like that, where they like are taught at a young age to hold true to what they've been taught throughout time, you still see like each generation passed by, there's things that change. Like I, I would teach people on Yap that still lived in huts made out of bamboo and wood and coconut leaves for the, the roofing, but you'd see them on smartphones like all the time, which is ironic. So they, they live in that house, but they still hear they have modern day electronics. Yeah, they have a smartphone. They, their kids have a, an iPad that they watch watch uh, cartoons on just like kind of like us okay living in their house that they have yeah that's amazing so so tell me about your first uh, you told a story that i heard before was about mm-hmm. your first house that you moved into at least oh, yeah. the vacant house is if that reminds you of what i'm talking about yeah that tell, does. tell me about that experience because i thought it was quite comical to at least to me <laughs> yeah so this um this is right after my my first week on guam so while i was on guam i didn't sleep very much just just to say, it was like when I first got off the plane, it felt like I was trying to suck oxygen. Like the oxygen was too thick. It was like trying to drink like whipped cream through a straw or something. Just because of the sea level coming yeah. from here? Okay. From the sea level, the humidity, it was so th- much thicker than I was expecting when I, when I left. 
And so I hadn't slept well. It was hard to breathe still. And um, by the, that first night, I had four days that I was on Guam. That, uh, from the flight from Guam to Yap is, it leaves at 12 o'clock at night and gets there at 2 o'clock in the morning. So it's a very late night flight, like red eye. And I got used to that flight because we'd, we got used to when they would send missionaries in with, with that timing and stuff. But um, I got to the island at 2 o'clock in the morning. I was dead tired. I hadn't slept very well. And I met my, my trainer. His name's Elder Bryant. And we got into our, our little truck that we had. We had a Toyota, a Tacoma that has been beat up to doll get out. And we're like, all right, we got about a 30-minute drive to our house. And so after getting all, everything checked through and driving actually to our house is about 3 o'clock in the morning. And our house that we lived in was the farthest away from kind of the main town on Yap. And so we get out there. We lived on dirt roads. We had a little apartment on the, on the village. And we pull up. It's dark. I'm used. I'm tired. I just want to go to bed. We open up the door and I come to find out the, the next day that missionaries haven't lived in this house for about two months just because of reasons. So even the elder you're with, he, he hadn't lived there. Yeah, this he, is new to him as well. Well, he had lived there two months previous, okay. but his companion that he had before that had to, um, was transferred to another island because Actually, there was a typhoon that hit the other island. They needed to send missionaries to help rebuild that island. Okay. So they had left for two months and now here yeah. you are coming back. Yeah. I'm coming back as his new companion in, in that area again. And so we get in there and most everything is all right, but we, we don't really check things out. At first, we just flip on the lights. All right. The lights work. That's a good sign. We, we go in and in the bedroom, we, we look down and the bed that... I'm supposed to be sleeping on has blue sheets on them. But the problem with these blue sheets is they're not all the way blue. There's a tint. There's a tint. There's a spot right in the middle of it where it's all black. Oh no. And we're, we're looking at it like, yeah, that's mold. That's a lot of mold. <laughs> and the mattresses, they were, they were in a not very good shape. I had about, I had a box spring with two mattresses stacked on top of each other. And, my companion had three mattresses stacked on top of each other, just old mattresses that they'd pile on one on top of the other. Try to get more cushion. <laughs> Try to keep more cushion, exactly. So what we did is we're like, my companion, he turns to me, he's like, did you bring any sheets by chance? And I'm like, I actually did. I brought some, some twin sizing, like perfect. So we, we threw off the moldy ones. And we're so tired that we just take my new sheets, we put it on the same bed and grab a, a blanket that we'd, I can't, I think the blanket actually had been at the foot of the bed or something. It, it, it didn't look like it had any mold on it, so I used it. And we went to sleep like that. And that was the bed that I slept on for the next six months. And ne you never had mold, more mold grow on your sheets? Or it just, um, you I never, never checked, I guess. It never I never mattered. saw any more mold. <laughs> it didn't matter at that point. Yeah. At that point, I just stopped caring. I was too tired to care. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. That, that house, though, Speaking about mold, there was another thing that I found in that house as, it, as we were cleaning it out, getting it ready the, like the following week. Even our soy sauce in our cupboard had, had started to mold on the top. 
inside the inside the bottle. Like not inside, <laughs> like the the top and like oh across the top of the yeah. It just started to mold on top. And I didn't want to check the inside, so ooh yeah, I threw that away. Get rid of that. <laughs> got rid. Of, got rid of that. Probably because all the moisture. I'm yeah. assuming for how moist everything is. I would assume that most all the time it was 100. Probably a lot of rain as well. Yes, all the time. Yeah, we would. That was a nice thing. Is that house had a, a tin roof, so a lot of the times we'd fall asleep to the rain on a tin roof. Nice. Gotcha. So, so tell me, you get in the app, you got this situated. You made a, you uh, gave a story before that I remember. Is is you talked about going into the villages and, and some some of the things you had to learn, the protocols, or how yeah. how, how did that go about? So, and explain what I'm talking about. So this is a a little bit more along the lines of their culture for for the people of Yap. One thing that the people in Yap do when they go into a village that's not their own, they kind of show they're there for a peaceful reason by carrying a stem of a, a tree or a plant about the same length as from your wrist to your your elbow. They would carry that as a sign like they're not here to cause any trouble. Or if they don't, if you have a machete, then you take your machete and you wrap in a banana leaf and then you hold it on the blade as you walk through the village. Or you can also have a, a bag that the men hold, or if you're a woman, you have a woman's bag. And if you have that bag, it shows that you're there for a peaceful reason as well. Okay. So it just depends on how you kind of come into the village. Yeah. So so, so question is, after you came to the village a couple of times, does, do you have to still maintain that or how's that go? So every time you went to a village, you had to break off another another leaf, another stick, and you'd carry it through. So no matter what? Yeah. No matter what, even if you were there the day before and they know who you are? Oh, yeah. Okay. And so even in our own village, like we wouldn't carry it in our own village, but our village was pretty small. You could walk across it in like 10 minutes. Okay. And so most everywhere we proselyte on Yap, we would be carrying a leaf with no matter what, you just no have it with you. Yeah. And the, the awkward thing is like, you get to a house, you, you sit, the people actually let you sit down and talk with them and you're talking, you forget your leaf and you leave a, you leave a leaf on their, their, <laughs> um, deck part of their house or something like that. On their or, porch or wherever they're at. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, um, you come back to the other later on, like you pass by and you see your leaf there and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> leaving your trash there. Yep. No. <laughs> but so how, how was it learning the language? Yappies is very different than, than English. It's probably the hardest to second hardest language as I've been told in, in the mission. But I've only had to learn Yappies, so I don't know about that. Um, yappies, is, it was difficult to learn. I remember my, my first week there, like I started to like hear things that I was like, whoa, I think I'm starting to like understand a little bit about what they're talking about. But then I realized that Oh, I just can tell what they're talking about by what they're gesturing at. Oh, so through their body behavior. Yeah. But to actually understand like the words that they were saying, and what they meant, took me, I'd say six months to actually start picking up like what they were kind of talking about and to actually respond to people probably took about, I'd say nine months. For you to be able to, to like be make, fluent enough that you could have a conversation. Yeah, exactly. That's a long time. It is a long time. It was, it would have been faster, but a lot of people on Yap in their school systems, they actually teach fairly good English. Different. It's kind of more broken than ours. But they do know English. But they do point. know English to a point. So we, we actually did a lot of our teaching 
in English. But the thing is, since their culture is so strong, it means so much to them to see. You see someone from a foreign land that's not from where you're from, and they're trying their best to, to learn you. A lot of the time, our efforts to learn the language actually softened the hearts of the people that we were, we were working with. So I know there's a lot of people that they didn't really care as much on what we were talking about. They were fine with where they were at, but they would let us come by and they would let, they would teach us. They would be fine with teaching us their language. And like, we would like share a little bit with them. Like we would, would, it's kind of funny. We'd, we'd read from the scriptures or we would try to explain a gospel principle to them and say, Hey, does that make sense? They're like, Oh no, you could say it like this. And if we got them to think about it a little bit, then we could, then it was, then it was good. It was a teaching tool. It was man. a teaching tool. Not being like, it kind of shows like, even if we have a weakness, we can take that weakness, turn it into a strength. If we're willing to be humble, let others teach us to be better. Right. And learn something on the way. Exactly. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's a, it's a smart way of doing it. So at least trying to share the gospel. Um, what about some of the members? What are some of the members that, that you that you remember, that you, oh. that you think of. So I, since I was there for so long, the members on YAP, I had a connection with. Then that was different than any other of the members I worked with later on in the mission. I, my branch president, I became very good friends, really, really close with a couple of different families that we were working with, especially one family that had, when I got, it was actually two families, I should say, two families. When I got there, they had, been struggling a little less active and then we were able to help a lot of our work on yap because yap is about nine thousand people in total so everyone there on island they knew the missionary they had seen us around most of them had talked with the missionaries at some point had heard the message so a lot of what we did was working with part member families and those that were struggling and still trying out go out and find new people but kind of limited though if you know if everybody knows who you are it's hard to find those new people. Exactly. Um, one family was the the N family, and their their last names are a little bit different than ours. So, N was the the Yappy's name of the the husband. We that was one of the first families I got very close to, right? Starting off, and they're the ones that helped helped me a lot with learning the language. They they were a little bit struggling first got there, but. They, uh, struggling what financial wise or, or spiritually or what do you think a lot of it was like they were they're at the point where they're trying to to come back to the, the church so a lot of the a hard thing is out there on the islands there's not as much of a support system as like we have here where you have a lot of members you have a lot of people to come in like if you can really find those that are struggling you can help pick them up a lot of the people there they don't have as many people the branch president trying his best to help all these people, but kind of limited though. Kind of limited. He doesn't have as much, as many resources, you could say, as many people he can call on and ask. So a lot of it was either on him or on us missionary. So they were at the point where they wanted to come back. They just needed help. So we, we were there to help them and their, their daughter who had just turned nine. We helped her to make the, like find out and make the decision if she wanted to be baptized. She did. She accepted. She accepted. So where did you guys do a lot of your baptisms? Did you have a font? So we did have a font in the main town. 
Okay. And it's weird. This is something that I always thought was crazy about the people on because you have the ocean. Like that's God's font. <laughs> it's huge. Um, but the people there on on Yap, particularly, they loved being baptized in the church because they saw the ocean every day. That was like where they went and did their laundry or that's where they caught their food. So it wasn't that big of a deal if they were in the ocean. But the font, the church, it was like something different. It had more meaning to them if they were baptized in the church. So all the people that I had the opportunity to see or help be baptized while I was on Yappin was at the church. At the church house font. Yep. Yeah, that's I would th- I would have thought the same thing. You got bodies of water all the way around you. It'd be so easy to just walk out and get just it done. Just walk down there and it's it's done. But <laughs> oh, that that was like the special thing for them to go to the church, to have all the missionary, uh, not missionary, all the members come. They'd prepare like food and stuff like that, and they would have a baptism and a lunch, have a party, have a party. That's Any awesome. excuse to have a party is a good reason. They they would do it. Yeah, that's awesome. You told a story about a about a man that was. Chained to the chain to the wall, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, I'm I'm gonna have you tell me that story if you can. I mean, we might have to start from the beginning to a little bit more detail, but but tell me tell me the story about this this individual in this town. Is this is and the, was this on the town of Yap? This kind of comes down to about I'd been on my mission for about three months now, and my companion and I we were trying to think of ways that we can move the work forward, and we kind of had a, the impression that we should start looking maybe at some of the other islands in the Yap state as a potential to have missionaries go to. And so what we did is we talked with our mission president over a couple, like a month or so, we, we made some plans and we were able to put some stuff together. And it wasn't just us, but it was us and some other missionaries on Yap. We kind of put this thing, and I was basically, I see most of the cool sp- experiences I had, I was, I felt more like a spectator than actually up there in the, the front line. It was cool that Heavenly Father gave me so many opportunities to learn so many different people. So we got everything figured out and we got approved by a mission president that we could go out to one of the outer islands of Yap to, I'd say, scout it out, see if it's feasible to have missionaries on it. And so the outer island that we were we chose to go to first because we had strong members from that island that we we trusted and that um, we we were close to was Fice and Fice like we think of oh maybe outer islands like oh it's only right there you can see it from yeah these these outer islands this was um probably about 150 miles away from main island yeah. Okay, so you you had a distance. Yeah, it was a distance to get out there. It was it wasn't like we were just skipping hopping over to the next island over. This is this is a a journey, and we chartered a, a plane actually from a different church that does medical flying. They fly to these outer islands to help out with if anyone out there gets sick or life threatening. Something happens. They're the ambulance. They're the ambulance. They okay. fly them straight to Guam, and that way they can get the medical help they need because there's nothing out there. So we go on the plane. We we fly over there, and on the way over there, I saw in the back, and my 
companion actually got to sit in the got to sit sorry in the the co-pilot seat on the way over there talking to the this pastor for a different church who is the 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 pilot he's the pilot so they got to have a gospel conversation on the way there on the way back i got to sit by him but anyways that's besides the point we get to the island of bison like i talked about how like guam was a, is a small island Yaf is an even smaller island. Fice is one mile and a half long and half a mile wide. Teeny. It's tiny. Tiny. And we get there, there's about 300 or so people living on this island. And we'd set up and we packed stuff to come out here for one week. And this a trip and later on I had one trip that was similar to it. Probably one of the greatest gifts I'd say Heavenly Father gave me while I was on my mission because of how unique of an opportunity it was. Not very many, I'd say, missionaries ever get the opportunity to do something like that. So I don't think it has anything really to do with the kind of person I I am. I think it's mostly Heavenly Father did that for me because he knew I needed it. I needed that help. So. We were the first missionaries ever to set foot on Feist. We, we get there and the people there are very, very welcome. They were really nice. And we were, we were there just for, for scouting. We didn't have like approval to stay there any longer than the time we, we were allotted. But we were able to, to teach and to be among the people, do service and stuff like that while we were there. We even actually... Held a, a church meeting, just a sim- simple one, while we were there. And out of the 300 people on island, we had 30 people show up to the the church meeting that's, just to see what it was like. That's 10 percent, man. That's I good know. numbers. It was sweet. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. It was so cool. But while we were on the the island, we met a man named Norman, and this is another time when I got to see Heavenly Father doing something for me and giving me an experience. The better myself, everyone that was involved. This is a this experience I'm about to tell is something that's changed me as a human being, as a as a person, like fundamentally. And so Norman, he's about close to his thirties. He has a condition where every once in a while he'll go through a phase where he kind of becomes irritable. He kind of lashes out. He's antisocial and sometimes a little bit aggressive. And so that's once every three to six months. The rest of the time, Norman's the most nice, like the nicest person you ever meet. He's kind, he's gentle, he loves to laugh, and he's just a fun person to be around. And so, to think about these little islands, they don't have the infrastructure to take care of someone like Norman, who in a lot of ways would need to go to a hospital to receive help for what he needs. They don't have that option. So what they do is they have to think about the good for the community to keep him safe along with everyone else on the island. So what they, the community did 
is they one day took Norman from the manhouse. Manhouse is a cultural thing for yappies, kind of where the, the men hang out, where they keep their deficient supplies. They took him from the manhouse, carried him to his house, and they busted holes in the, the cinder block walls of the house that his parents, his house, and they chained him to the wall with a, about a two-foot chain. And, and chain on his arms, legs? What, how did they do that? On one of his legs. One of his legs. That's quite, the, that's quite the thing to see. Somebody chained to the wall. That's not something you see every day. Not the, it's definitely not something you see. When we first got on island, they told us about him, and they warned us. They, he's known to be aggressive. So when you, if you want to meet him, make sure you stay on the far side of the little place that he lives because he had his own little room built off to the side on that wall. Um, stay on the far side, which it's only about five, six feet wide and probably 10 feet long at most. And just shake his hand and then get to that wall. Don't be close to it. So like, we're kind of nervous. People are telling us like, this wasn't just one person that told us this. This was like a couple of people, different people that's saying, hey, if you're going to go meet him, be careful. So we were, we were a little, little nervous and we, we go in when we, we meet Norman and he, the first time we met him, like we could only see him in there and on the outer islands of the app, they, they wear a certain lava lava called a thu and he was wearing his local thu and no shirt and he hadn't shaved in a while because doesn't get a lot of visitors. We talked with him for a while. Just got to meet him. Like I said, he had the biggest laugh. He like when he laughed, it was like it shook shook the the room. You could just tell he was so happy. Happy guy to probably happy to see anybody. Yeah. Talk to anybody. Talk to anyone. And the cool thing about Norman is what he does in his meantime, he doesn't sit there and wallow in his self-pity. He reads he reads self-improvement books, self-help books. He reads the scriptures, sits there and like tries to think of ways that he can help other people. And he had a little sign up in front of him that he would look at every single day because he basically his world was stuck to four by eight foot or four by six foot piece of plywood that he used as his bed and where he lived. Had in front of that a little piece of paper that wrote on his paper, he said, fear can overcome. Wait, let me rephrase that. Fear can be overcome. So underneath that, he put principles like trust, faith, love. And that's what he looked at every single day that he got up. Fear can be overcome. Through those principles. Yeah. And so we talked with him and at that time, we um, offered him, we asked him like how he is. And we offered him if he, he would like us to, to pray for him. And something that we do in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is we believe in miracles, we believe in blessings. We asked him if he would like a blessing. He accepted and we were able to give Norman a, a blessing, health, peace, 
after we were done talking with him, he, we gave him a, a Book of Mormon, a scripture that very near and dear to all those who are part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he said, oh, I love this. I'd love this book, but I, I don't have a Bible. This was something that I had the opportunity to do sometimes a couple of times in my mission. And this was one of them. Heavenly Father gave me a choice whether I could be selfish or selfless. And I had the spiritual prompting I felt that I needed to give this man my set of scripture. And that's why I did. Gave it up. Yeah. This, this, it was a quad. So it had the Holy Bible with the New Testament and the Old Testament, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, all in one. And it had this book, this set, since I was eight years old, it had my name on it. And I looked down and I was like, I can, these are mine, but I can choose. I can choose to give them to him. And that's why I did, because I knew I had the opportunity. I could get more scripture. Absolutely. Absolutely. But him may be his only time ever to have a set that he can read from, that he can keep. Right. That he doesn't have to worry about where it comes from. That was one of the greatest gifts I was given as a missionary. And so we got to meet with him for the next couple of days. And one of the saddest experiences of my mission was when it was time for us to go, we had to say goodbye to Norman. We, don't, we didn't know what was going to happen. We couldn't be there to teach him, to see him progress. And we didn't know if missionaries were going back. We just were there to see. And you can only pray. Pray that he's reading those scriptures and utilizing them. Yeah, exactly. I, we had one other opportunity one, later on, about a month and a half later, where we went out to other outer islands. And on our way back, we got stopped by see Norman and he had been reading had he he had he'd been reading most mostly out of the bible and he'd been studying a lot out of it it was awesome to see his gratitude just such and humility for his love for that gift so I, it made it meant the world to me that he was reading that he enjoyed it and since then i haven't heard about him kind of hard to hear anything from there anyways exactly long ways out it's a long ways out is <laughs> We think we live in the boondocks, but <laughs> nothing compared to that. Exactly. So, well, he can only pray. Ho- hopefully, he's using it, and hopefully, good things are coming his way. That's awesome. Yeah. You had to break some sentimental there for you. You had to let go of the the scriptures you've had since you were a kid, but uh, that's worth it. Worth it. I definitely will say it's it was a blessing to have that opportunity for you. And the cool thing about Norman is, of all the people I've met, he was one of the most free people I've talked with. Even like people that are members of the Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints, because he had found peace like with his situation. I think that's a lot of the problem with us today is we, we aren't able to look past our circumstances to find peace. We get caught up in this sense of, oh, I need this, or, oh, I have to be doing that. And I even do it myself too. But Norman, he had literally nothing besides books and time. And he had the mental desire to make more of himself, to read self-improvement books, to overcome fear through principles, become a better person. 
even by being bolted to a wall, two feet chain. Two feet chain. Living in a box. And I want to say this for, for those that might think, well, why would community do this to someone? Why, why wouldn't they like find a way to get him off the island? And just to make it not sound like these pe- the other people on this island are, are mean to him, his own brother was the one that had to break through that wall make the bolts for that chain his own brother that from that day that he was chained till now has taken care of him every single day his brother has his brother has that same man who had to think about that think about dusting through cinder block wall chain your own brother to that wall knowing that he may not be released from that chain for a long long time and taking care of him, making that commitment that he'll take care of him, take care of those needs. That's amazing. And it's something that hurts. Like, like you could tell, like he loved his brother. You could see that as we talked with him. I can't remember his name, but he was, that's, that's something that is hard to do. That is a hard decision to make. He's stuck with it. He has been there for his brother the entire time since. and. I don't think I mentioned it, but Norman, it, it isn't like he's been chained there for a year longer. He's been chained to that wall when I went there in 2019 for nine years. He had been chained. He had been years. chained. So now it's 2021. So that's about plus two, 11 years for what I know. I, he may, maybe he's gone off by, with COVID-19. I just well, and people need to understand this isn't this isn't in an area where they have government resources or, or, or you know individuals that have services to come and help them. Mm-hmm. You're so limited, and, and every dollar counts or every financial thing counts. And so, how are they? How are, how would they get him the help he needs mm-hmm. by living in a place so remote? Basically, the unless there is a way, an option for them to get, I don't know how, but like to get someone to go to the island to pick him up and then take him to somewhere like Honolulu, then that's an op- option. But still, that, that's a far-reaching thing to ask them. And he wasn't the only one that we actually saw on the island. There was one other lady who had more serious mental illnesses that was chained up as well. They took care of her and helped her. But Well, I think it's important to look at the love. It might it might seem like hate to hate somebody to chain him up that way, but you look at the love that they have for him to do whatever they can yeah. to love those that you live with, to keep them safe, but at the same time take care of your brother and, and making that commitment to say, well, this is it. This is yeah. the only option we have. This is our life now. This is what I'm going to do for you, and I'm willing to commit to taking care of you, even though that's a hard thing to do. Crazy. It's a crazy thought. So it's something that we don't have to, we don't have to stress that. There's not very many people in our area that would understand. We know that mental health and like stuff like that, that's serious stuff. And we're here, we're, we're so blessed that like we, we have the opportunity to get the help that we need. There it's, it's a struggle. Well, we kind of come, come, come towards the end of this. One question I have for you is what, what, would, what would be the best takeaway that you took from this experience? Going? A great question. Well, it's hard to phrase everything that I took away. And I had so many experiences that they can't 
be written down or put into just a single podcast. But as a collective, everything I experienced, everything that I did as a missionary, came down to three simple words. Are love the Lord, something that I really strongly feel has guided me to the point that I am now and will guide me further on because I have a lot of growth to go. I'm not very, very far on. I have a lot to go. But if we can learn to love the Lord, put Him first, no matter what situation we're in, then we can have His strength, His power make it through like you can think about you by yourself if you had this monumental task to accomplish just you if you're going to move a mountain or if you're going to raise a family or if you're going to find a job to support your family or if you're trying to better the world and it's just you a tall order but think about if you have on your side, the person who created the world, the person who framed it all, who knows the beginning from the end, and they're alongside you saying, I'm here to support you. I'm here on your side. What do you want to do? Whoa, that's crazy. That's sweet. You have Heavenly Father, you have Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost. They're along your side help support you, to help guide you becoming the best version of yourself. But the question is, isn't, the question's not if they're going to be there for you. The question is, are you going to be there for them to allow them to do that for you? Are you going to love the Lord? If you're not, then all those blessings, you're keeping yourself away from them. Basically like putting up an umbrella in a rainstorm. You're blocking it through your choices or your life decisions, that's what you want. But if you want their help, they are there. I know that. I've seen that. I've experienced it. No, anyone out there, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you still have the opportunity to love the Lord in your own way and in your own timing. If you do that, you draw closer to Him, then you will start to see a change in your life. I didn't go to serve a mission to have cool experiences, to be able to come home and say how great I am. But I went on a mission because I love the Lord and I want other people to have that same experience. I had the opportunity to see that and I had other opportunities to see other people not take that. But I can see the difference. That means the most. You've, you've came a long ways, Chase. Thank you. Long ways, man. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to come over and the Sharing oh, your testimony, this, sharing your stories, man. This just went by fast. I, I, I could keep going on and on, <laughs> really, if you wanted me to. Well, but. I appreciate your time, man. This has been awesome. I, I look forward to the future, what you what you have in store. I, it's going to be awesome things, what you accomplish. Thank you. That so, means a lot. You're the man. So you're a good friend. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of Mirrored Up. I'd like to once again thank my guests for joining me in this episode. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you'd like to message or comment on the show, please join me on Facebook under Mirrored Up. And I look forward to you joining me in the next episode.